Welcome. My name is Jesse and you are listening to The Wake Up Call. This show is about opening your eyes to how you've been living, bringing awareness to the standard you've been operating at, and helping you start living to your full potential. There are two ways I'll help you do this. One, by disciplining your mind, and two, by strengthening your body. It's time to take stock of your current performance and go to the next level. Let's do this. G'day guys, welcome back to another episode of The Wake Up Call. This is episode 146. And today, I want to talk to you about 14 of the best overload strategies to get stronger quicker. Now, that is not clickbait. That is not a written title to draw you in. It is not something that is all fluff. It's actually real world practical advice and information you can use right here and right now. So as soon as you receive this input and this information, you can apply it to your own gym sessions and your workouts immediately. It's stuff that I have actually applied to myself in my own training for the past you know, 15 plus years and also in my personal training business with the students that I coach. So I know that it works because I've actually done it. I have written down the progress and the numbers and the reps and the weight that my clients and my students have lifted and I've seen how it can actually accelerate growth in terms of both hypertrophy, so building more muscle, and also in terms of getting stronger. So if you want to make your training more challenging or demanding, or if you're looking to take your training to new heights, overload strategies are something you should have access to. You need to understand first and foremost what they are, the different types of overload strategies and when to use the right ones. So not all overload strategies are equal. Some are better than others. Some are more useful than others. And it's also like a tool. It's knowing when to use that tool. So it's gonna be the right tool for the right reason at the right time. So that's really what I'm going to share with you. I've got 14 overload strategies that I'm going to impart from my brain to yours. So you may want to grab a pen and paper and write these down, okay? So let's dive in uh, first and foremost. <clears throat> an overload technique or an overload strategy is something used to stimulate quicker progress, to help you make faster gains in strength and produce more muscle growth, okay? So like if we consider a straight set, so if I write your program and you've got five exercises, number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five, you do them sequentially, okay? Number Exercise number one first, right? What generally happens is you alternate between work and rest. You do a set, you rest. You do another set, you rest. You do another set, you rest. You do that three, four, five, however many times it is until you've completed all your sets before you move on to the next exercise. That is what is known as straight sets. It's not good or bad, it's just what it's called. You do one set at a time and it's not linked or paired with anything else. You pick a weight that you can perform your target number of reps for and then you just rinse and repeat that sequence until all of your reps and all of your sets are completed. Now, the way we advance that, the way we add another layer, not just in terms of complexity, but in terms of stimulation, Okay, in terms of building strength, you must overload your body. I've talked about this a million fucking times. You must use the progressive overload principle. And these strategies and tactics 
are some of the ways that you can do that. Okay. In this episode, I'm going to share uh, 14 of the best and some of my personal favorite overload strategies and techniques to help you get stronger, build more muscle, and just make you a much more physically capable human being. Now, first of all, I want to define what an overload technique is. An overload technique is a form of progression to make the foundational movement or base of your program harder or more effective. So as I just mentioned, instead of doing straight sets, you know, you work, you rest, and you repeat, you're adding an extra layer of intensity, something that's more challenging or demanding than that base layer. So I'm going to go through the 14 different overload strategies, and then you can pick and choose. You can cherry pick the ones that appeal to you or suit your current training conditions or environment. So if you work in a commercial gym and, you know, it's pretty packed, there's some things that you probably aren't going to be able to access. But if you train at home or if you're working out with a trainer or you've got a little setup in your garage, you've got some kettlebells or dumbbell and a squat rack, you know, the world is your oyster. You can train however that you fucking please. And you can take your favorite overload strategies that I uh, discuss with you and you can use them at will. First and foremost, the most simple form of an overload strategy is the superset. A superset is where you pair two exercises together with no rest between them. So this is where you would have an A and a B exercise. Okay. To emphasize strength, choose two non-competing muscle groups. So maybe it's a push with a pull or using the chest muscles and then the back muscles. Or maybe it's an upper body and then a lower body exercise. For hypertrophy, you can pair the same muscle groups together to induce more growth. Supersets are very great for time efficiency. So if you're stuck for time, if you've only got 30 minutes, supersetting is going to be your best friend. You know, you do A, B, then rest. So basically, you've cut your rest periods in half. Okay, so you can get more quality work done in less time. And you're going to get the added benefit of improving your fitness as well because your heart rate and breathing rate will be higher and they will stay higher for longer. The next overload strategy we have is known as the tri-set. And as the prefix illustrates, tri means three. So we put three exercises together, A, B, C, and then you rest, okay? It's the same concept as the superset, two exercises, but now we've got an extra one at the end. We've got three. In terms of building strength, choose different movement patterns. Maybe you do a push, pull, and a hinge, or maybe you do a hinge, pull, and a squat. We're trying to make sure that we're not doubling up on the same muscle groups or areas because we're not going to be able to lift as heavy if they're in a fatigued state. Now, as I just mentioned, with the tricep, you've got three exercises instead of two, so you're going to have higher levels of fatigue. You're going to be more tired, uh, but your heart rate will elevate even more as will your breathing rate. So you're gonna get even more work done in less time. So again, from an efficiency standpoint, try setting, fantastic, because there's fewer rest periods. So one of my students likes to call a try set the TCK, the three card killer. So I remember when I first put this into his program, we'd been using supersets for, for a very long time. That's just kind of standard in my 
programming and my methodology. And I put three in there one day, and he's like, oh, God, that's a bit of a, a bit of a shock to the system. And he called it the TCK, the three-card killer. <laughs> and that's really stuck ever since. Uh, moving on from that, we have what is called a giant set. Four exercises or more done together in a sequence. A, B, C, D. All done with no rest. You don't rest until you've completed exercise D, the fourth in the sequence, right? So you perform it like a circuit. And I'm not saying you get sloppy and you just try and smash them all out as quickly as possible. You take the care, you take the time to do each exercise with immaculate technique. When you're doing exercise A, concentrate on nailing exercise A. When that's done, you just walk across or you move to the next exercise. You don't have to sprint, you don't have to run, you know, you don't have to crawl on your hands and knees if you're absolutely rooted. Um, but you're going from A to B to C to D then you rest. So giant sets can be perfect as either a finisher, like at the very end of your training session, because you won't really want to do much after it. <laughs> or you can actually create it as the session itself, if you're short on time. So four exercises. Oh, wow, that fits perfectly with our training principle of the big four movement patterns, push, pull, hinge, and squat. Wonderful. If we want to do a whole session, we can do a push, a pull, a hinge, and a squat. Excellent. We train the whole body with four movements, top to bottom, front to back, left to right. Fantastic. Pick your exercises, decide on your rep range, do three to five rounds, depending on how much time you have, and away you go. Now, this next part. So we're talking about giant sets doing four exercises back to back to back to back. If you're a bit of a masochist who loves feeling the burn, enjoys getting a bit of a pump, or simply sees the benefit in doing more total work in less time, so you get better work capacity, so better fitness benefits, this will be a great option for you. A, B, C, D, just completed all that work. Now you get your little break. You recover a little bit, not fully, but you recover enough so that you can repeat that sequence again. That is the giant set. Or as one of my students likes to call it, the FCK, the four card killer, four exercises. As I mentioned, you can do whole body in four exercises, push, pull, hinge, squat, two upper body, two lower body movements, Bob's your uncle, that's a great training session right there, or an excellent finisher to finish off your workout. Next, we have the drop set. A drop set is where you select a weight that you can do for your desired rep range. Then you will drop the weight and hit as many good reps as possible. Then you will drop the weight even further and you will repeat that sequence. Okay, so we start with a heavy weight, we drop it. We do as many good reps as we can, we drop the weight again and we repeat that cycle. Now, I do need to make mention of this because when it comes to drop sets, you can do as many drops as you like. You can do one drop set. You know, you do, you start with a heavy weight, drop it once, bang, that's it. You could drop it another time to make it three drop sets or three sets total. But here's the thing. The higher the number of your starting reps, the more drop sets you can do. So if you start, you know, with six to eight reps and you go to, fatigue, uh, to muscular fatigue or failure, you don't really have a lot of buffer. There's not a lot of room between, you know, zero and eight reps. But if you start at 20 reps, you've just opened up a lot of potential 
for a lot of drop sets there. You know, zero and 20, there's a big gap there. There's a lot of potential for a, a decent number of sets, decent number of drop sets. Uh, then we have, uh, so that can be a great way to finish your session or to add as your last working set to reach that muscular fatigue or failure point. All right, I wouldn't do this at the start of a session at all. Drop set, uh, do it when you're in a more fatigued state. Doesn't mean your technical efficiency or movement quality goes down. It just means that you're going to be uh, pretty fucking tired afterwards. So if you want to push the boundaries and set new new thresholds of what you're capable of doing, uh, drop setting, great option. Uh, but a word of caution, it can be quite painful. So if you don't have a very high pain tolerance, watch out. Next, we have a rest pause. So let's say, for example, you're doing push-ups. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to take the humble push-up as the example. You're doing push-ups and you're targeting 12 to 15 reps. You start doing your push-ups, down, up, down, up, core's tight, whole body moves up and down as a unit. Excellent. You're repping out. You're chasing 12 to 15, but at rep 10, you start to falter and you can feel the fatigue. Your rep speed slows down. Stop at 10. You don't let your form break down to the point where it's actually poor form, but you go to the point of challenge where you're struggling. You stop at 10, shake it out, relax, take a few breaths, chill, relax, it's all good. Set's not over. Just taking a brief tactical pause. You shake the tension off and then you resume. I can get another two reps here. Bang, you're in your rep range, 12. Oh, I did three, did an extra four. Yeah, go on, and there's my 15. That is a great strategy to accumulate some extra good quality reps. We're not looking for junk volume where the reps are shithouse. We're looking for good reps. It's a tactical five to 15 second break. You take a breath, compose yourself, and then you crack on and you keep going. That is a rest pause. Next, we have forced reps. So these are reps that require a little bit of assistance from a spotter or a training partner. So this isn't a pass or you know a what's the word i'm not giving you an out to let your form deteriorate or get sloppy i'm not saying that that's okay but what it is is a way to sneak in some extra reps at near or beyond failure so you start doing some work that is supra maximal s u p r a supra that means beyond okay so let's say you cut, let's say, let's take a bench press, for example. You do six reps on your own. The spotter doesn't do anything. They just follow the bar up and down to make sure it's not going to crush you or sink your chest in. You do your six reps. Then you can't get the seventh. They will give you a slight assistance. They use their index finger and they just slightly guide that weight up for you. And then you go again. The rep moves even slower and they give maybe just a little bit more assistance. Maybe they use two fingers on the bar. And then you go for a, Rep number nine, and they maybe use three fingers on the bar. And they're giving you the least amount of assistance possible for you to accumulate one, two, three, four, or five extra reps. The technique is the same. You're not lifting all of the weight. You are getting some assistance or help from a spotter. Do not let the spotter curl the fucking weight. I've seen this before where people do bench presses. And the spotter basically has two hands 
all 10 fingers wrapped around the bar, and they're basically curling the weight up. So the guy's not bench pressing. He's basically assisting the guy with the bicep curl. So you want to make sure that you're still taking the maximum amount of weight possible. The spotter is there just to take enough off of you so you can keep going and punch out a couple extra reps. And this must be said. When you do these forced reps, your rep speed will slow down. It shouldn't come to a halt, but it will slow down. When it starts to slow down to the point where you are about to stop, that's when your spotter comes in and they assist you past that sticking point. So you can recruit those last remaining muscle fibers and you contract maximally. It's a maximal effort with a smidge of help from a spotter, okay? Next, we have what is called run the rack. This one here is great fun. If you want to get a big pump on your arms, if you want a bit of an ego boost, you can run the rack. So you can pick an exercise to finish your workout or training session, and you start with a heavy-ish weight. So let's take the humble bicep curl as the example, all right? You want to pump the arms up, you want to fill them with blood, and you want to get some vascularity. You want to show the veins off a bit. Awesome. Nothing wrong with that. A traditional dumbbell stand goes from one to 10 kilos in one kilo increments. Uh, you're gonna start at the heaviest weight possible, so I'm gonna use 10 kilos as an example. You grab your 10 kilo dumbbells and you start curling. You do as many reps as you can, put them down. Grab the nines, do as many of them as you can, put them down, grab the eights. Same thing, do as many as possible, put them down, grab the sevens, and so forth. So you're going from 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, eventually down to the little puny one kilo dumbbells. But by the time you get to those one kilo dumbbells, they feel like a thousand kilos because you've got so much trauma, so much fatigue accumulated in the biceps from all of the heavier weights you've just done. So for stronger lifters doing 10 to one in one kilo increments, that's for you. You've got 10 sets there. For weaker lifters, I would encourage doing 10, 8, 6, 4, 2. So that's five sets. So you decrease by two kilos instead of one. Uh, so there's fewer sets total. Run the rack, blow up your arms in a good way. Uh, then we have the valve, breathing behind the shield or under tension. So this is the key to sticking with your reps when the speed starts to decline. Now, just because the dumbbell, the barbell, or kettlebell starts to move more slowly, it does not mean that the set or the rep is over. This is where a lot of people give up on reps that they shouldn't, and it's the reason they don't build strength, because they give up far too easily. It's when you need to keep going. I'm gonna take the kettlebell military press as the example. One kettlebell with an offset load, so it is not evenly distributed. Kettlebell's on the ground, you use one or two hands to Clean it and bring it into the rack where it sits between the forearm and the bicep. Standing vertically, you must press that kettlebell directly overhead to a straight arm lockout. Okay? You can't cheat the movement. You can't side bend. You can't back bend. You've got to stand perfectly straight while your arm presses the weight up and brings it back down. The example I'm going to use is what's called ladder training. I have a YouTube video on this. You're more than welcome to go and search for it. I explain it in full detail. But let's say you're doing ladders of one, two, three. You do one rep each side, take a break. 
two reps each side, take a break. Three reps each side, you take a break, and then you repeat that cycle for as many ladders as you want. Okay, so one, two, three is the ladder, and you do as many rounds of that as you like. Uh, generally, once you've done it for a little bit, you understand that one rep is easy. Two becomes kind of medium, and three, that third rep is fucking hard. That third rep moves really slowly. So it's easy to kind of panic and get concerned that, oh no, this kettlebell's not gonna go up, okay? This is where you use your breath and you slowly release it so you can stay tight. It's so you can still use proper form and you can still complete the last rep. So for the clean, getting the kettlebell from the ground, we hold the breath. We take a breath in, clean the kettlebell. At the very top of the press, we exhale. We release that breath. On the way down, we sniff to reload, to brace, to stay tight, to create stability. However, rep three is slow, okay? Rep three is slow, which means that we have to slowly release the breath. Because if we release all the breath too early and we still haven't locked out the arm overhead, you're kind of in no man's land. It's not gonna go up. You don't have enough tension to stay tight, which means that your body is going to want to contort or twist or bend or rotate in some fashion to help you get this weight overhead. So that's option one. Your body was going to want to compensate and cheat to finish the rep. Or two, if you do stay tight and hold a strong position, you're just not going to have enough strength to see out the rep and you have to bring it back to the rack and that's that set done. So if you use the valve where you take a breath in and then you slowly release the air. You don't release it all. Okay? It's like if you ever try and let uh, pressure out of a tire. You press that little um, pin. The tire doesn't go flat immediately. A burst of air comes out at a steady pace. That's what we want. We're not releasing all of our air. We're breathing between our teeth. And we're slowly letting pressure out. So we're keeping the abs braced, rock solid. We're holding a rigid trunk and we're slowly releasing that air as the weight goes up to a straight arm lockout okay number nine we have high tension techniques so there are some muscle groups in your body that are known as neural drivers okay when activated they provide better neuromuscular connection what the fuck does that mean jesse what is neuromuscular connection <laughs> High tension techniques provide better neuromuscular connection. Neuro, brain, muscular, muscle. So it's better mind to muscle connection. What this means is we have better linkage. So we can link and connect the body a lot better together. There's no weak points. There's no areas of deficiency that are gonna let you down. Better linkage, connecting the top to the bottom, the front to the back and the left to the right. And it also means less leakage. So when we do a squat, we don't want the spine to move. We want the hips, knees, and ankles to move, but not the back. The back will change shape. Sure, you might start here and then have a little bit of lean as you come down into the squat, but the spine itself shouldn't move. It's not a back exercise, it's a leg exercise. So the legs move, but the spine does not. That's what we mean by linking the body together 
and not having energy leaks. If your spine does move, that's energy leaking and it's exposing you, it's opening you up to a potential injury. So the muscle groups or the high tension technique I'm referring to, and I have mentioned this before in a previous episode, it's called GLAG, G-L-A-G, GLAG. That is the set of muscles, that is the group of muscles involved that help to increase neural activity and better neuromuscular connection. Glutes, lats, abs, grip. So when you're doing your big compound movements, squatting, deadlifting, rowing, pressing, you need to seek to use as many muscle groups as possible. And then you just work that checklist back. Are my glutes on, yes or no? If yes, can they be tighter? If the answer is yes, cool. You know what you need to do. Work your glutes harder. Are your lats on? Oh, I wasn't even paying attention to my lats. Fuck. Totally forgot about those. Cool. Well, let's get them involved. Let's let's get a bit of a lat contraction happening. Ooh, that felt stronger. Oh, my back's a bit more stable now. It's got more protection. Excellent. What about the abs? Well, what about them, Jesse? Oh, 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 okay. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, they weren't on. They were on vacation. They've been on holiday since, you know, 2005. Okay. Let's let's get those abs engaged. If you don't know how to do it, I will teach you how. Very, very fucking quickly. And the last one is grip. Most exercises involve you holding onto something, a bar, a dumbbell, a kettlebell, a band, something. Are you gripping that implement firmly? Or have you got a, a you know the grip of a wet fish? So the way you want to think of this is tension equals power. The more tension, the more muscular tension you create, the more powerful and the more strength you will develop and be able to uh, exhibit, okay? Next, we have the half pyramid. So the half pyramid can either go up or it can go down. So you can work it one or two ways. I've known about pyramiding for fucking 10 plus years now. It's a very tried and true method, okay? Half pyramiding. So the half pyramid, we can go either up or we can go down. So you can either start with really heavy weight and low reps and go up. Sorry, for example, three reps, five, eight, ten. Or we can do it the opposite way. Start high and work down. So you start with light weight and higher reps and go down. For example, 20 reps, 15, 10, and five. That's a half pyramid. One goes up. One goes down. The natural question is, which one's better? Well, it depends. If your goal is to develop more strength, work from low reps up to high reps. Why? Uh, you can lift heavier. Start with the really heavy fucking weights. Decrease the weight, increase the reps. Decrease the weight, increase the reps. Decrease the weight, increase the reps again. We're going up. If your goal is more hypertrophy in terms of getting jacked and building more muscle, do the opposite. Work from high to low. Concentrate on that mind-to-muscle connection. 20 reps, then 15, then 10, then 5, okay? You will get a great mind-to-muscle connection because there's a shitload of reps there, and you're going to create a lot of muscle damage. So that's great for hypertrophy. Then we have the standard pyramid set. So a pyramid, if we just look at a pyramid... It goes up and then it comes back down. That's exactly what a full pyramid is. 
Okay, so if you want a little bit of both, strength and muscle development, the full pyramid can work very well. Now, the number of jumps up and down determines how big the pyramid is and how difficult or draining that training session is, okay? For example, you can pick whatever exercise you like. Uh, let's, I'll take a, a press movement. Let's do a dumbbell chest press as the example. Okay, dumbbell chest press. You're gonna do a set of four, then six, then eight, 10, 12, then we work back down. 10, eight, six, four. That's a total of nine sets. Okay, another example would be for seven sets. Three, six, 10, 12, 10, six, three. Start with real heavy weights, three reps. Decrease the weight, increase the volume. Six, then 10, then 12, and then we work our way back down. When we do the pyramid, the weights should be the same on the up and the down. So if we're doing, I'll use this last example to paint the picture. <clears throat> let's say, for example, uh, let's say a bent over row. You're going to do 5, 10, 15, 10, 5. That's five sets. Okay. Uh, the weight at five reps on the up should be the same as the five reps on the way down. Does that make sense? So five reps, let's call it 40 kilos, okay? Five reps is 40 kilos on the up and the down. Then we go to 35 kilos and we do 10 reps. That should be the same on the up as it is on the down. And then we drop it to 30 kilos and we do more reps at 15. Does that make sense? So we shouldn't have different weights on the up versus the down. If that's the case, you probably need to increase the rest period a little bit. So the general rule is this. The heavier the weight, the more rest you require. So if you're using dumbbells, this is fucking amazing. Because dumbbells, once you get past, once you get to 12 and a half kilos, they go up or down by two and a half kilos. 12.5, then 15, 17 and a half, 20, 22 and a half, 25. So basically you can just go up or down a dumbbell depending on if the reps go up or down. Cool. Then we have paused reps. You add extra time under tension. You can do this with pretty much any exercise to make it harder. So if you work the muscle for a longer period of time, that equals more difficult, okay? Uh, that's pretty self-explanatory, at least I hope it is, okay? Work something for longer, it's more demanding. But the pause, where you place the pause, it has to be at the hardest almost difficult point in that exercise where the muscles are under tension. So I'll use a squat as the example. There's no point you taking the pause at the fucking top. There's nothing working there except for the muscles to actively stabilize you to keep you vertical, keep you straight. So, you know, that's not going to develop your squat. You know, you can pause there for, for a fucking day if you want it. It's still not going to build your squat. The pause needs to be in the bottom position. So if I'm doing a squat, I squat all the way down to the bottom, your bottom position, bang, hold, then come up. If it's a bench press or a dumbbell chest press, again, we don't pause at the top with the arms straight. That's not going to help develop the pressing muscles, okay? Sure, you might get a bit of shoulder stability and tricep strength to keep your arms straight, but the hard part is getting the weight off your chest. So it comes down to the bottom, hold at the bottom, then press. Uh, a deadlift. 
You can pause a few inches off the ground. So if you struggle with the timing or you lose position on the deadlift, you might get really tight. Slowly let the or push the feet into the floor so the bar leaves the ground a couple inches. Pause. Be a statue. Then continue. So that's called an elevator deadlift. So you're just moving up a little bit. Hold. Then you continue the rep. It's very good for positional accuracy, making sure that your hips don't shoot up. All right. Last example I'll give for the pause rep is a good old-fashioned dumbbell one-arm row. You have a flat bench. You put the left knee and the left hand on the bench. Right foot is off the side. You're going to row with your right arm. Hold at the top. Control the negative. Row, hold, control the down. The top part is where the muscles are contracting and working hard. So that's where the pause is. Then we have tempo training. So if you want to develop a laser accurate technique that doesn't fall away when you fatigue or break down under heavy weights, tempo work could be for you. So the standard tempo or speed of an exercise is 101. That basically means it's one second down, there's no pause and it's one second up. So you control the down, there's no pause and you can just control the up. Okay, just a standard pace. But let's say I gave you a tempo of three, two, one. Three seconds down, two second pause, one second up. Each rep now accumulates six seconds. A lot of time under tension, a lot of muscular control. If I wanted you to work on being explosive, I might have you do a bench press with a lightweight with a tempo of five, zero, one. Super slow negative. Five seconds down, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Explode the weight up. Only a handful of reps. And then we might have a tempo of one, zero, four. Okay, one second down, no pause, and then a four second up, or a four second concentric. Okay, so this could be good for doing chin-ups. You do a chin-up, you just do a standard pull, one second up, and then it's four seconds on the way down. Pull slowly on the down, all right? And the last one is escalating density training. This is where you aim to complete more work in a given time period. Okay, so if you have a time period of five minutes, you complete X amount of work. The goal is to create or to get more work done in that same time period. Does that make sense? Five minutes is five minutes. So the goal is accumulate more work in that five-minute time period. This is something I first read about on T Nation. It was an article by a guy named Charles Staley. Uh, excellent for hypertrophy and work capacity. So you're trying to accumulate more volume in a given amount of time. This is something that I use with my students on a fairly regular basis to bring out their competitive side. So one of my guys in his last program had kettlebell one arm swings. He was doing 10 reps each side. So left arm swing, 10, right arm swing, 10. And then he went straight into a cradle squat. So cradle squat is basically hold it in the crooks of the arms with both arms, uh, in the crooks of the elbows with both arms, basically keeping it close to the chest. And I calculated, I tallied it up. I believe it was 20 seconds per set for four sets. And I tallied up his total volume in week one, and I compared it to the total volume in week four. He got an additional nine or 10 reps 
was nine reps, an additional nine reps over the course of four weeks. I didn't give him any more time. You know, 20 seconds is 20 seconds is 20 seconds. All right, so across four weeks, he got an extra nine reps. It's pretty fucking good. Didn't give him any more time. He got stronger and built more power by moving quicker. You know, it's it's not a, that's the parameter. You've got 20 seconds, go. Try and get more work done in that time period. So there you have it, guys. Uh, I wanted to do a, a, a complete podcast on this topic because there's a lot of different overload strategies out there. Some are better than others, and it's something I wanted to be able to reference uh, at will. It's something that you can use as a, as a resource to go back to when maybe your training gets a little flat or boring, or you hit a plateau and you're kind of struggling with, what do I do next? This can help you burst through a plateau, build more strength and develop more muscle by selecting the right overload technique at the right time. So guys, I really hope that this was helpful. I put together a really big series of notes, um, show notes for this one, and uh, I hope that you got a lot out of it and I hope you'll use it to make your training better and more effective because training's fun. These are great ways to push yourself and get a little competitive and see what you're capable of. And it's they're all forms of helping you with the progressive overload strategy. Because if you don't use that, you're not going to get stronger. And that's just the way it is. So lots of different options for you here. There's 14. You don't have to use them all at once, but you can kind of use them on a needs basis to get stronger and build muscle. And I hope you'll do that. So that's it for today, guys. I'll speak to you soon for another episode. But until then, overload your body and watch yourself get stronger and more muscular. Until next time. Bye-bye. If you loved the wake-up call, found it entertaining, or got some benefit out of listening, I would appreciate you helping me to spread the word. Please share it with a friend or on social media so that you can pay it forward and give someone else the opportunity to improve themselves like you just have. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon for another episode.